I want to make this clear. It's not a small thing to leave a faith tradition. It is a huge decision because I owe so much, we both do, mm-hmm. to the Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your guest host, Britt Bowler-Jack, and for the next few months, we're going to be interviewing millennial pastors who have transitioned out of the Church of the Nazarene. It is my hope and prayer that these stories will be um, the catalyst for beautiful conversations to come about who we are and where we're going and how we can better embody who God is calling us to be. You're not alone. You know, there are so, so, so many of us who are asking questions and trying to figure out what a wholehearted life uh, means. One of my first things is like, if you can stay, you should stay. But I would say if you're going to stay, you have to do the work. That's really all that matters at the end of the day, because it's all about faithful ministry. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Britt Bowlerjack, and I'm here with my guest, Justin Schoolcraft. I didn't even ask you if I'm saying that right. Schoolcraft? Is that oh, you just say you it like did it's great. spelled? Okay, thanks. Just like um, it's spelled. Yeah, okay, perfect, perfect. So he's currently the pastor of small groups and young adults over at Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you. Um, okay, so I want to start at the very beginning of the story and ask you, how originally did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Yeah. Um, I was born into the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, My parents uh, were not, are not Nazarene, um, but we happened to live close to a Church of the Nazarene in South Charleston, West Virginia. Okay. Um, It was a a wonderful church, is a wonderful church, and just grew up in the church. Uh, So that, that was my entry point into the denomination was just experiencing it. Were you like, you were born and your parents were like, oh, we have a kid. We got to get back in church. Or like, what was the, the like story there? That, that was exactly the story. Oh, okay. Um, you, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> so uh, very much they, I was born and around that time, as is with many parents, mm. um, we, we need some help. Let's try to find a church family. And yeah. the one down the road was Nazarene. Oh man, having just had a kid ourselves, I cannot imagine that journey without a faith community. So it totally yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, okay, so from there, kind of tell me the story, your like faith story, your call to ministry. Um, how did you end up being a pastor? Yeah, well, I I was very involved uh, in that in that congregation that I grew up in. I never in, in, envisioned myself because becoming a pastor or going oh. into ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I ended up going to Treveca because I was interested in music business. So okay. I, I had a deep love of Christian music, but I also mm-hmm. had the conviction that most of it is really bad. <laughs> and and there, are, there are some artists that I just fell in love with. Um, oh. And I felt like, oh, th- this is the minority of artists mm-hmm. out there, but I want to, I want to be a part of something where, um, we're making really good music with, Aww. with some, some really authentic, um, stories of faith in the music. So I, I went to, I mean, as you do, you go to Nashville mm-hmm. to get into the music industry. Yep. Um, and, uh, so, so not, not a, 
you know, call to a career in ministry, but at Treveca, and, you know, I actually don't know how this functions at, at some of the other Nazarene colleges and universities, but we, we had to take, as first-year students, we had to take a course called Intro to Biblical Faith, mm-hmm. and it was like the Genesis to Revelation gen ed class. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I was I was kind of excited to take it, and uh, I remember that I, I started the, the course, and the the course kind of opened with one of the religion faculty teaching about the Garden of Eden, and suggesting alternative ways of reading the story of, mm-hmm. of you know what what might it mean if the point of the story is is God's goodness in creation rather than these six literal days, mm-hmm. and I I remember going up to that professor uh who who I got close with and just saying like this made me really mad (laughs) like this is not your this is not how I was taught to read the bible Mm. um and and something about this just is deeply unsettling and Mm. I want to talk to you about it and he looked at me and he was like you're in the wrong major like what are you talking about like I I moved to Nashville to do this and he's like you're asking all the right questions like these are questions that religion majors should be Mm. asking and so I, I did, I did this crazy thing. I switched majors like my first semester yes. at Treveca. Like I was just so compelled by this mm. course. So my call to ministry really kind of accompanied um, coursework yeah. at, at Treveca. And, mm. and I was taking these classes and the student body kind of affirmed in me, they, they, I was elected to be the student body chaplain mm. um, when I was at Treveca and and all of those experiences I think I didn't have a single moment but being in that faith community Mm. where I was able to honestly wrestle with with my faith identity uh, that was my call to ministry was alongside those people it's beautiful I love that Um, so kind of going from there tell me the the kind of first semester changing your major to um, you know how you ended up pastoring yeah well I I was in school and um knew that I wanted to pastor but that I also wanted to to go to to graduate school Mm -hmm. and so I I wanted I I had every intention of of staying Nazarene of becoming a a pastor in the church of the Nazarene Mm -hmm. um so when I was an undergrad you know I I participate in the life of the local church um, wherever I was. I, I got it involved at there in Nashville and, mm-hmm. and that was a fun place to be. Yeah. Um, so I always had a foot in, in the local church knowing that that I was going to go to graduate school and I happened to um, be very interested in the Candler School of Theology mm-hmm. uh, at Emory University in Atlanta. So mm-hmm. you could kind of see the appeal. It wasn't that far from Nashville. Yeah. Um, and I went down to uh, Atlanta um, to be a part of a Methodist seminary, wanted to stay in the Wesleyan family, um, and then um, just just stayed in touch with district superintendents uh, to try to explore like, okay, like I'm in grad school, um, you know, this is, this, is a, this is the time to start thinking about these things, and mm-hmm. I don't want to jump ahead too far, but well, were you around. like interning or did you have anything going on during undergrad or grad school where you were in a ministry role? Yeah, yeah. I, I interned um, a couple of summers. There was an initiative at Trebekah called the 6-8 Fellowship, 
Okay. Um, and it was um, kind of a youth theology institute, a similar mm. format. And I interned in those uh, settings and worked with, with teenagers and it was some, a pretty remarkable time. Mm. Um, but, you know, my, my formal internships uh, really started in, in graduate school mm-hmm. um, in, in Methodist settings. Um, okay. But my, my major, I would say that I would credit uh, my role as the student body chaplain uh, in a lot of ways that was mm. that was a ministry outpost for me getting yeah. to work with some some great pastors during that time yeah that's awesome um so when was the first time that you thought you might not end up staying in the church of the nazarene oh that's a good question i a lot i mean throughout my senior year at Treveca, I was excited to be in ministry. There was a very practical part of my brain mm-hmm. that was looking at job openings. Sure. And was saying to myself, oh my goodness, where does somebody go to get a job? <laughs> and and I didn't have a good answer mm. for that question. I mean, mm. that I think that was the beginning of, of some some concern that I had. Mm. But then the, the main thing um, is that shortly after I graduated from Treveca, I took the next step. I knew I wanted to go to seminary and I did mm-hmm. that. And, and shortly after I did that, a very close friend of mine came out as gay and um, that did not go well for him. He, he was credentialed <laughs> in the church of the Nazarene and mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of really unfortunate things unfolded for him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is, this is something that in my own faith journey caused me to ask a lot of questions about what I was taught um, um, growing up and to, to chase some doubts that I was having in it. And it became personal for me. I mean, it, it yeah. became um, somebody that uh, remains very close to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I was so assured, am so assured of, his call to ministry and his gifts and graces to be an incredible pastor. And he is an incredible pastor now. Um, and, and I think that that was really one of the first times where I, I knew that this is not going to be an easy road ahead of me in terms of deciding, is this a, a good place for me to stay? Um, was saying, you know, if this place said no to him, I don't know what I think about this. Um, anymore. So it wasn't, it wasn't like I, I didn't make up my mind in that moment, but I seriously started questioning it, um, around that time. Yeah. Are there other like mile markers on that journey of deciding to, to leave or transition out of the church of Nazarene? What else was going through your mind there? Um, it was when I was in grad school, um, around my last year of grad school, okay. actually, so third year in seminary, mm-hmm. and I was up to to go before the the board and and I'm sorry, I'm board, board of ministry. My, I have a I have an entire Methodist vocabulary in my <laughs> head now that has <laughs> replaced some of what used to be there. Yeah, but mm-hmm. but I I went back uh, for that interview. Mm. And again, at this point, like still intending um, to stay in the Church of the Nazarene. And um, the first question, and, and like 
seriously, the first question of that interview was, do you feel like you could preach against the practice of homosexuality? And I mean, I had just sat down with these people and um, was really disappointed. I mean, the anxiety level, <laughs> understandably, just went went very high when I heard that question. Yeah. And um, tried to reframe the question as best as I could mm-hmm. to say, my understanding of what it means to be Nazarene is much bigger than the question that I was just asked. Mm. And I said, here are all of the things that I stand for mm-hmm. in the Church of the Nazarene and why I love this place. Mm. And, and kind of the response was like a reiteration of the question, but like, but could you preach against this? And, and I, like in this moment, I had to tell them like, no, like I can't, like I, I can't answer the question the way that you want me to answer the question. And I can't, I can't dodge around that. Like what I could tell you is that I'm aware of the position stated in the manual. And even though I'm not on the same page (laughs) as the manual, um, I'm willing to stay. But um, unfortunately, um, you know, I had the rest of the interview and yeah, I I got the news back um, that I had essentially a year to change my mind. So they, they renewed my license for a year and they said, you know, we're gonna ask you the same thing uh, this time next year and and we're going to give you a year to change your mind on it um, wow. was was what I was told the hard thing for me um, that was pretty tough in itself the hard thing for me is that um, it you know if, if anybody you know was involved in the situation um, you know they may have other perspectives on it but but a close uh, clergy friend of mine who is female Mm. Um, was asked the same question and answered in the same way and wasn't given the chance to take a year uh, to change her mind on the question. And so, I mean, just in the same district or yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Same district. Um, And so it's kind of sitting here like, okay, what kind of person can I be if I if I take this option to extend this for another year, I, I don't see a way that I can do this. Mm. Um, so you're considering at this point, not even taking the year, the extra year, right. Because you've learned that this other person didn't get a year. Right. Yeah. Oh, and you're I, like wrestling with your male privilege in this moment. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think that in a lot of ways that is, is, one of the primary things in the story of me mm. leaving the church of the Nazarene is, is for me grappling with, okay, like I, I'm a straight white guy. The, some of the major influences to me leaving, like they're not negatively impacting me personally. Sure. Like I have an opportunity to stay mm-hmm. and maybe find some success, but now I have these people that I'm close to in my life mm. who who haven't been given that opportunity. And yeah. so that that is kind of central to this whole um, narrative for me oh. of like, yeah, these these issues, did they affect me personally? Yeah, a little bit, but I mean, not not in the 
marginalizing ways that mm. these other people in my life experienced mm. it. And, and I guess it became a question of integrity for me. Yeah, of, sure. Um, you know, I, I hate, I mean, I absolutely hate that what, what it meant to be Nazarene in that moment was the answer to that question. Yeah. And I, I have such a depth of passion and respect for the Church of the Nazarene. I mean, the mm-hmm. way that this denomination holds personal holiness and social holiness and tension and, and the ways that they, they look to the Holy Spirit to mm-hmm. um, provide direction and guidance. I mean, there's nothing like that mm-hmm. anywhere else. It's, it's genuinely unique, but, but all of that was reduced to this question. And, and yeah. I hate it that, that that's what it came down to for me, but, but that, that's what it came down to. Mm. So what finally happened there? Well, what happened was that Church of the Resurrection was looking for some young pastors and gave a call. Um, um, somebody on their staff called my seminary mm. and said, uh, hey, we, we've got a couple openings. We're specifically trying to hire young clergy, <laughs> which is like, which is like, that's awesome. Who does that? Like, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, one of my professors was like, well, actually, we've got, we've got one of our students going through a rough patch mm. uh, in the Church of the Nazarene. And like, if you, if you talk to him, he may be interested. And, and that's what happened. You know, I, I loved that, um, that I was going to get to stay close to my Wesleyan heritage mm. um, in the United Methodist Church. But, but honestly, you know, I, I never had a moment of like, I stormed out or like mm. I posted about it or I mm. announced it to the universe. I didn't want to do that. Like, I didn't want to, um, um, like, I think this was me grappling with some of about like, this isn't really about me. Like, this is mm. about these people in my life yeah. that it's affecting. So I, yeah, I never even, um, you know, maybe, maybe I have some regrets about it, but I, I didn't even write back to that that team and say like, Hey, thanks, but no thanks. It's just Mm. like, I, I'm just going to go take this job. (laughs) That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, tell me what, about what God has been doing in your, in your life and ministry since then. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been a really good few years since, since all of that has happened. Um, and actually, you know, I, I really would, would say that, that, um, like truly like the hand of God and, and me coming to this church mm. has been so present throughout. I think to kind of to the short version of the story was around the same time that interview was happening in 2019, there is a special called conference in the United Methodist Church um, where a, a traditional plan passed and, and nearly split the denomination in two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Adam Hamilton, the senior pastor at Church of the Resurrection, um, did an address about his disappointment in that vote, um, and about his desire to, to be a church that was inclusive of all people mm-hmm. and, and a clergy that was inclusive of all people who wanted to be clergy. And I just remember thinking about like, wow, this is some incredible leadership that I'm seeing. I also have no idea who this guy is. Sure. Um, he seems cool. Like this seems a cool church. Like I, I kind of want to learn more about this church. And then they called me and offered me a job, you know, wow. I mean, those are, those are kind of things when, when I say like, I didn't necessarily write back to anybody. It's just mm. like, Oh, this is, this is what's supposed to happen right now. I think, I think I need to follow this, 
um, this journey. And, and I think that's just, that's been how this couple of years has been. I, the role that I took was pastor of congregational care. So mm. I took two years before the role that I hold now. And for, as a full-time job, I, I was a care pastor. I visited hospitals. I, I counseled, I carried a pager. If a tragedy happened in the middle of the night, I responded to it. And, mm. and some of the most sacred work, I mean, that I've ever encountered just sitting with people at their absolute worst. And, and those two years, I think, maybe more than any experience I've ever had have, have, they have made me a pastor. I mean, yeah. that taught me what it means to be, to be a pastor, but, but it did like all of that was happening in a setting that allowed people to be who they are mm. and, and affirmed that, um, and isn't perfect, but they're trying. And, and that's what mattered to me is like, um, people in the UMC joke all the time about like, how behind the times they are. And I'm like, but at least you guys are fighting about it. At least you're uh, having the conversation. That's not an excuse, certainly not an excuse for our, the, the progress we have to make, but. But at least uh, you have a setting there where that conversation is possible. Dissent exists and is allowed to exist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the United Methodist Church, um, you know, one of the, the good things about it is that we're we're kind of stuck in the conversation but but we're thinking it through with such a depth and and the fact that we're allowed to talk about it allows us to handle um, some of the issues very sensitively just in terms of um, speaking globally about um, sexual orientation is not is not as easy in parts of the world as it is in North America, mm. you know, but, but just the, the ability to have the conversation allows us to take the conversation to a deeper level of nuance, yeah. even about how globally and culturally we can, we can be respectful of cultures. And like, and like, I just like the ability that we're able to get, to get to that level of conversation. So that, that is a, that's pretty special mm. to be a part of. Um. So the, the last couple of things that I've been asking everyone is um, how might we have made a more hospitable place for you and your ministry in the church of Nazarene? Yeah, um, you know, for the question, I think I would just want to restate before I answer the question that the church of the Nazarene was hospitable to me mm. as, as, a, as a, you know, a straight white person that they were willing to give some extra grace to like the denomination was hospitable to me um, in a way um, I think you know the way I would answer the question though is is I would have loved to have seen a denomination that allowed people to disagree about the issue and voice their disagreement but but for those people who were willing to stick around and and continue to to work in the denomination um, that, that would have been the difference maker for yeah. me. I mean, hands down, like I, I, I don't know what would have happened, but it would have meant the world to me to just mm -hmm. be able to say, I don't agree with this. I'm not there, but it's in the manual. I'm going to stick around and be mindful of what's in the manual. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll probably still keep, keep working to, to bring us further along. But, but I wasn't even given that opportunity, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that is like, 
so much not a unique story that I that I have. It is my story though of I wasn't given that opportunity. So um yeah, yeah, that would have that would have been everything mm. for me to just be able to comfortably say, um, that's not where I am. Yeah. Um I will, I will, I, I'm gonna add this if Please. this is okay. In in that um in that interview that I was in. Um, what a church that I was involved with, I knew their senior pastor quite well. Mm -hmm. Um, it was amazing to see the way that he defended me Mm. in that interview. And I, I just want to vocalize that and and Mm. say, it wasn't like the whole team was, was out to get me. Um, it, it was interesting to see within the makeup of that team itself, the way some members were trying their hardest to allow that team to recognize that that a pastoral identity in the church of the Nazarene is bigger than the question that was just asked, mm. right? And and so I, I do want to give some credit to to some of the members on that team who who were uh, who were allowing it to be about a bigger issue yeah. um, than that. Yeah. What words of wisdom or encouragement might you have for? Um, millennial clergy who are still here in the church in Nazarene. Yeah, you know, I, I think I would just say that, um, well, well, one, obviously you're, you're not alone. I mean, you can hear from people um, all over the country who are deciding to stay and keep working. Um, I think, but, but secondly, though, I'm, I'm constantly surprised by the number of people who are in the church of the Nazarene currently that I meet who are, are changing their mind. Mm. about this issue. Um, I think maybe the best encouragement I would have would be that uh, the, the work that millennial Nazarene pastors are doing is, is paying paying off. I mean, truly, I truly see this happening. People are starting to have their hearts changed on mm. this issue. Now, now, can we get them to have meaningful conversations with the leadership structure and the church? Well, we're getting there, but I mean, like from the vantage point that I would have of like, yeah, like this is really, I think, and just culturally, I think the conversation is is changing quite a bit. Um, and I would also say too that that um, there's going to be a day when you're the old clergy, like when you know. I'm trying to. Frame, I'm pausing so much because I'm trying to say this in a way that's not morbid. It's great. You know, but like, yeah, I mean, pretty soon it's going to be you. Like, yeah, it's going to be you're the ones that are going to be in these in positions if you stay and remain. Mm. But um, that is oddly encouraging to me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that was a great answer, but that's what I got. No, I, I love it. It's perfect. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you want to? you want to talk about as part of your story? Uh, I I would just say, you know, I have so much respect for the Church of the Nazarene, and there's just, there is something about um, being a part of that denomination that I haven't experienced in other places. Just this Mm. this spirit-led, I think, call to, to take your walk of faith seriously, and then translate that in, um, into a social, um, expression of, of, of justice and making the world a better place um, with all the struggles that, that are still there. But, um, you know, I think the Church of the Nazarene is so weird in like my favorite way. Like I just <laughs> met some of the weirdest saints in the Church of the Nazarene and they're like my mm. favorite people. 
and uh, I, I, uh, I, I really hope the church doesn't lose that. Like, let's mm-hmm. not, let's not lose all that weirdness and just kind of get become subsumed by by a political identity. Mm. Thanks for that. I actually love that. Um, well, in, in as much as it is my place, I just want to say, like, I'm sorry that we reduced your worthiness as a pastor to one question and didn't make more room for you and, and your ministry in, in your home church, the church you grew up in. Mm. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a tough memory. I have, but, but I appreciate, um, the solidarity with others who are, uh, sticking with it and not giving up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tell your story. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for asking once again, it's been a blessing to be with you. Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hello, this is Pastor Kobe, author of, and I leave you with this, a book of biblical meditations that ask you to pray, journal, and discuss everything that you learn in the journey in which God has called you to. The link is in the bio. Support this author and our podcast by clicking the link in the description. Thank you. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Britt Bullerjack. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.